Microphones and headphones provided by Audio-Technica. To learn more, head over to audiotechnica.com. The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 270 for Wednesday, February 4th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number is 347-324-3541. If you are tuning into MTR Live on either mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv, you will notice that there is no video feed for this episode. Uh, the main reason being that there are some equipment issues going on at, at the GFQ side of things, so we are going audio only for tonight's show. But you still can call in and interact with either segment, either wrestling or MMA. As usual, uh, the video portion of this show will be uploaded to the iTunes channel for Rageworks and for My Take Radio within a couple of hours after the show's completion. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to ask in the chat, or you can ask via social media, either at My Take Radio on Twitter or via our Facebook fan page. All right, so last week, we um, we didn't get to do two shows last week. My sinuses were completely destroyed. Um, the show for Wednesday, the wrestling and MMA show for last week, ran ran pretty ran pretty smoothly with the exception of you know just a lot of muting of the microphone cuz my sinuses were just prohibiting me from breathing and I doubt you people wanted to hear any sort of uh weird nasal issues while listening to the show but uh we took the that Thursday off and everything is running on all cylinders also if you've gone to rageworks.net you will see a brand new rageworks.net built from the ground up uh completely fresh layout that we are still working on, still tweaking for you guys. But as I've mentioned over the past few weeks, mytakeradio.com is being rolled into rageworks.net. One of the reasons why it has not been fully completed is because mytakeradio.com has a lot of posts. I mean, we've been running mytakeradio.com a long time. There's at least 3,000 posts on that side, which we have to move over, recategorize and edit so that you guys can continue to enjoy that content on rageworks.net. But I will say this, the MTR live link does take you to our live show page on rageworks. 
So at least we got that side of things working. But in any event, we're going to continue to work gradually as the week progresses to get the remaining posts from MyTakeRadio.com on RageWorks. And once that's finalized, then, of course, we will handle the forwarding of MyTakeRadio.com to the RageWorks site and everything will be running on all cylinders. Uh, If you joined us for last week's show, you will have heard the announcement that we are going to be adding Ben's podcast, Black is the New Black, to the Rageworks Radio Network, and um, we're going to add that along to uh, MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, uh, our our colleagues, the Buried Boys, for the Buried Show, and of course VGN, once we get that set up as well. And we're going to continue to grow and add unique programming and unique shows for you guys to continue to enjoy. Uh, we recorded a brand new Minority Film Report for 2015. Um, a little change in the format, which I'll let you guys check out. But app owners are getting to enjoy that first. As you know, the My Take Radio app is one of the main features that we try to showcase as much as we can on air. Because it gives you guys the best experience. And app owners get a lot of cool stuff first. Of course, the Minority Film Report definitely will be uh, one of the things that they've that they've received in advance. And then, of course, we'll release it to the rest of you guys uh, very soon. Uh, a couple of other things. My Take Radio will be at Toy Fair 2015. Uh, our coverage will begin on Saturday, February 14th through uh, the 17th. Myself, Andrea, and Slick will be covering the event. And um, Slick and I, of course, we're kind of strategizing some of the stuff we're going to cover. I'm sure uh, Slick will may cover... Uh, Toy Fair on Monday and Tuesday, but I know for a fact that Andrea and myself will be there um, Saturday and Sunday. So be on the lookout for that, of course, through all our usual social media outlets and, of course, on RageWorks.net as well. All right, so what's on deck for tonight? Well, of course, the big news story, Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz, the drug test. We're going to get into that. We're also going to be discussing the MMA news for the week, including last weekend's uh, UFC card, which of course saw Anderson Silva and Nick Diaz square off. We're going to discuss that. We're going to talk a little bit, of course, about Monday Night Raw, some of the wrestling news for the week. And I want to talk a little bit about the Stone Cold podcast with Triple H, which I felt was uh, probably better to some degree versus, you know, the Vince McMahon episode, just because there was a lot going on. And I just felt that Triple H felt more natural being out there and really just shooting the shit with Austin. And I really liked that. I felt that that was tremendous in terms of just getting people um, on board with just the direction of the company and where WWE is going. I think Triple H did a good job in that regard. And I think seeing, seeing that it actually um, allows people to say that Triple H is trying to do, you know, what's quote unquote best for business, no pun intended. But I just feel that, um, it was it was just a very very different approach than how Vince handles things, and I wanted to get into that, of course. And we'll take your calls. So again, three four seven three two four three five four one is the call in number if you want to participate. But for now, let's get into this week's MMA news.
All right, so we're going to talk about UFC 183 first. Uh, just a quick reminder for those of you that are tuning in, um, there is no live video feed for this week's show due to some equipment issues on the GFQ side. You can continue listening to the show via the Mixler feed, but if you want to watch my beautiful face, you're going to have to wait till I edit the video for this week's show and upload it to our YouTube channel. But um, as I said, we're going to open things up by getting into the uh, UFC 183 card, which, man, it was it was really good, and I was just so heartbroken with the news that came out afterwards. Um, I'm, as usual, we're going to go through a couple of the different fights that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, I'm not going to recap the entire card because you guys know how everything went down, but I do want to talk about the, uh, the fight between um, John Lineker and Ian McCall, which was... A surprisingly good fight, even though Lineker did come in overweight um, by a pretty large margin. Uh, Ian McCall, of course, made weight, but John Lineker did not. Either way, though, the fight itself was quite good. John Lineker secured the victory via unanimous decision. Um, It's really a shame that he couldn't make weight considering how good he looked in that fight. But it seems that a lot of fighters, especially over the last couple of weeks, it's been weight issues. Um you know, drug issues, you name it. There's there's all kinds of issues going on, and, and it's really disheartening for the sport. I had um a friend of mine who you guys may know. It was um and my friend MMA Valor. He mentioned to me that, you know, he kind of feels that MMA is in a really weird place right now, and I have to agree with him. I mean, some of the fights are really good. My interest is there, but um, it's just, it, it's definitely not where it is. I really thought that the fight between Nick Diaz and Anderson Silva would kind of bring me back into the fold on a, in a more, not in a more hardcore sense, but just in a sense where, you know, as a fan, you're having your needs met. And I, you know, this card, it was good, but I'll be honest, when you look at this card on paper, you say to yourself, yeah, you know, this is a good card, but is it, and this was something that Ben and I had discussed on air, is it a, you know, a $60 card? Is it a $50 card? And when you strip away some of these fights, you realize that it wasn't a $60 card. It was a good card, but it just wasn't a card that warranted a $60 expenditure. That's, that's again, that's my personal opinion on it. Nonetheless, most of the fights were pretty solid. The Ed Herman, Derek Brunson fight was good. Uh, Derek Brunson taking the victory via TKO, um, was not shocking. I think Ed Herman's Ed Herman is a, is a solid middleweight. Always a guy that goes in there and gives a a, a good performance. Uh, Derek Brunson, I like. You know, I, I think he's a guy that always goes in there, gives it a hundred and ten percent. And I enjoyed I enjoyed the way it went. It was a beautiful finish. Um, what ended up happening was um, Derek Brunson caught Ed Herman with the left, and when Herman staggered back, uh, you know, Derek Brunson jumped on it. And really started taking it to him. And of course, the ref had to jump in and save Ed Herman from any additional damage. Um, 36 seconds in the first round isn't bad. Of course, it's it's, it's a very nice, quick finish. But um, Ed Herman's a guy that I've been watching. You know, I've watched him fight a long time. And I was just shocked that he would have got, he got finished so quickly. Nonetheless, though, Derek Brunson is a talent that we got to keep an eye on in the middleweight division. Meanwhile, the ladies, Sarah McMahon, Misha Tate, I expected this fight to be a war, and it kind of was. I definitely feel Misha Tate was in danger in that first round. Uh, Sarah McMahon had incredible striking. 
looked really crisp in there against Misha Tate. Misha Tate, though, going to her bread and butter, working the wrestling, uh, just securing a lot of dominant positions. They gave her the victory via majority decision, which I had issue with because Sarah McMahon definitely had her in trouble in that first round. Maybe I would have gone split, but not majority. I just felt that that decision was poor. I mean, at the end of the day, Misha Tate secured two out of the three rounds, I felt, but I just felt that it wasn't a majority. It wasn't worthy of a majority decision. On the contrary, I felt that Sarah McMahon, like I said, really aggressive in that first round. Um, and to have 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 the fight scored 29-28, 29-27, and 28-28 was crazy. I mean, see, judging that fight 29-27 was, I just felt that it was not cool. Um, you know, I, like I said, it was it was a good fight. I just felt that the judging was not up to up to snuff in my opinion. Sarah McMahon is a, is a, is a great addition to the lady to the women's division, always in the hunt and Misha Tate continues to evolve. I'm not sure I can agree with her assessment that she's the only one that can beat Ronda Rousey, but um I will say that Misha Tate is definitely in, you know, top 5 top 5 female fighters in the UFC definitely, but do I feel that she has the tools to go in there and beat Ronda Rousey? I I tend to disagree. I mean, she's gone on record saying that I'm going to be the one that's going to beat her. It's like, listen, it it hasn't been the case. It has not been the case. I mean, you have Holly Holm in there. You know, you still got Kat Zingano. So, you know, Holly Holm, Misha Tate, Kat Zingano, and, you know, Ronda Rousey. That's that's pretty much how I would, how I would look at that division right now. Uh, unless, of course, Cyborg makes the cut, which I doubt. And we know Gina Carano's not making that cut. I don't care what anybody says. I disagree that she's going to make that cut. And if it happens, it'll be a miracle. And she'll probably only do that cut once. And that'll be it. But uh, Dake says things, uh, says in the chat, Tate is solidly number two, but it's a long way from two to one. And it's it's a good assessment. I definitely got to give credit where credit is due because that's, that is probably the best way to look at that division. Um, I, I, I have to disagree only with her being in the number two category. I feel that at this point, it, it's Ronda, Kadzingano, Holly Holm because of her record, Misha Tate, and, and Sarah McMahon. That's, again, that's just my personal rankings. If Ronda Rousey beats Kadzingano and Holly Holm gets past her opponent, then obviously that's going to be the no-brainer. Uh, that's going to be the fight that everybody's going to tune in for because it's a it's a fight between two very very highly regarded practitioners of their discipline. Ronda Rousey with the judo, Holly Holm with the stand up game. Um, you know the the thing is that when we look at and I've talked about this MMA math, MMA math will dictate that statistically the most popular fighter is going to well correction. UFC math is going to dictate the popular fighter that's going to get the biggest payday is going to be the one challenging for the belt. Legitimate MMA math is going to dictate that the person with the victories is going to be the next credible challenger. Now, I'll say this. Kadzingano obviously deserves her opportunity, especially after overcoming so much, uh, so many personal issues and injuries and definitely deserves it. Holly Holm comes in with a very, very impressive record. And I think that if she has a strong showing, they're probably going to pull the trigger and have her challenge Ronda because from a monetary standpoint, that's where the money is. You can you can build that based on, you know, 
undefeated fighters, um, incredible records, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much that you can build off of that that it'd be a, it'd be foolish on the UFC's part not to maximize it. Of course, if the rumors of Cyborg making the making the cut are to be believed, then obviously that would be the next logical monetary fight. I just feel that when you look at the women's rankings, um, you know, when I look at the women's rankings, I just feel that Ronda Rousey being at the top of her division, she she's, you know, survived and endured a lot of tough opponents. But I just feel that right now she's in a different league than everybody else. Now, again, Holly Holm, her striking is tremendous. And Ronda's been working on her, has been working on her striking but um, I do. I just do feel that mon- from a monetary standpoint, that is the way to go. Again, it's all about popularity when it comes to the ladies, and it pains me to say it because ability is there, and um, it's it's definitely it, uh, uh, who's who in that division. But at the end of the day, it becomes marketability versus record, and of course, moving the needle, quote unquote, on the pay per view side of things. That's how I see it. And that's pretty much how the UFC approaches the booking of its women's division. We'll see what the deal is in the coming weeks. Um, of course, Rousey and Zingano is getting pushed up. Um, you know, is is getting pushed up into the main event slot. We're going to talk about that later on in the segment. But um, a couple of interesting fights got put together leading to that, and we'll discuss that as well. I do want to talk about Thiago Alves making his return to the UFC. Uh, taking on Jordan Mean, who is an incredibly talented fighter. Um, Tiago Alves looked really good. The Dolce diet again, paying off. The guy cut incredible weight, was in sick shape. Uh, beautiful striking. Um, just a, a great return for Tiago Alves. I've always been a fan of his. I like the way he fights. He's super aggressive, pushes the pace. Um, it's really the way to go. And I'm very excited with the turnout. I was rooting for Tiago Alves because the guy co- is coming back from injury. I like Jordan Mean. The guy's a good fighter, but I just wanted Thiago to get the victory, which he did, because, again, you kind of just need to work off that rust and get back in there. And I think his addition to the welterweight division is is going to keep things very, very interesting. <clears throat> but it's all good. I will say this, and, you know, I was... A lot of people were talking about the, Th- the Thales latest fight, him and Tim Bosch. Um, Talis Latis, his, his jujitsu submission game is always good. I just feel that after those poor showings, he's really just not, not a non-factor, but people just look at him and go, oh yeah, it's that guy. <laughs> and I feel bad for him. I mean, he had a really beautiful technical arm triangle submission in, in the second round to close it out. He looked good. I mean, is he going to go and challenge for the belt anytime soon? I don't think so, but I will say that, um, it was a slick submission, and it did earn him a bonus, which we'll discuss later on. So um, nice to see that. New York's own Ali Akinta took on the always dangerous and equally entertaining Joe Lazan in the lightweight side of things. Um, you know, I got I got to root for one of New York's own. It is it is what it is. But I like watching Joe Lazan fight because the guy goes in there, gives it a hundred and ten percent. He really is the just bleed. Uh, kind of a fighter he'll go in there willing to have wars with anybody and you know I definitely I respect his work ethic I I respect his approach to the sport and he's a fellow geek so you know I couldn't root against him either but of course Ali Akinta came in there and caught him with a devastating devastating shot 
which, um, you know, it, it was a hard right. It wobbled him. And then Iaquinta saw blood in the water and just jumped all over it and took out Joe Lazan. It was a, a surprising finish considering that Joe Lazan is definitely one of the more um, durable fighters in the division. But props to Ali Iaquinta on his victory. Beautiful technique. Great stand-up. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Joe Lazan. I mean, this is a guy who's been consistently delivering fight of the night uh, performances. And I'm sure this is just a bump in the road and we'll see him in the cage sooner rather than later. Now, the other fight mired in controversy with regards to cutting weight was Kelvin Gastelum and Tyrone Woodley. There was a 10-pound weight difference. And the crazy thing is, you know, myself, uh, very own Lucha Lee, we've talked about this in the chat on numerous occasions about weight cutting and the science behind it. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, and I'm not going to beat up, beat it up too much, but here's where I stand. As you get older and you cut weight, whether it's as a mixed martial artist or a power lifter or a bodybuilder or any sport where fluctuation in weight is incredibly important, what I, I have to say that your body takes a beating constantly, takes a beating and what happens is your body just it, it it finds it tougher to bounce back and as you get older that's also a factor as well i mean you know i am 34 and i can tell you that when i cut weight at 24 it was a much easier process than cutting weight at 34 and um you know it really it really just it takes its toll on you i mean when i when i was younger and i did powerlifting in high school I was, I'd have to cut weight and it was, you know, it, it was a very, very aggressive, especially, you know, high school powerlifting. It was very aggressive. You had to really stay on top of things, especially when you're in high school. And as you get older, there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there that really throws your weight off. But Lucha Lee says it in the chat. He says, I'm a firm believer that one should not cut more than 10 pounds on a const on a consistent basis. And it's true. I mean, cutting more than 10 pounds is is an issue. I think that the problem is your body reaches a point where you can only cut X amount of weight before it starts affecting you. You know, it starts affecting you physically on on a multitude of levels from, you know, pains, uh, passing out. You know, we've seen it happen with Hen and Burrow, constant fighters. The way around it is you go to, you, you, you know, you have a good dietitian, you have a good uh, you know, a good nutritionist that's going to tell you, hey, you'll be able to make this cut or not. But the fact is that, you know, as a professional fighter, if you're supposed to fight at 170 and after the fight, you're off six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and your weight is in the 200 in the 200 pound category, you're going to have a really, really tough time cutting that if your fight is, you know, five weeks out, six weeks out, because you're going to have to change your dieting. You're going to have to up your training, up your cardio. And what happens is if you, if you're not consistent or you don't implement the same strategy on a consistent basis, it tends to break you down piece by piece. And it's unfortunate. I feel bad for, for Kelvin Gastelum because the guy, you know, you're, you're coming in, you're 10 pounds overweight, you're thir- you're losing 30% of your purse and not only that, but it's, it's you know, your, your opponent is pissed off because if that guy loses, he's going to lose against the guy that was 10 pounds heavier than him at the scale. My, not forgetting the fact that once you rehydrate, you're walking into the cage 
you know, at 180 or 190 when the fight starts. So if he cut down to 180 when he got on the scale, he might have walked into that cage weighing 200 pounds, 195 pounds. You know, it's it's it, you know, I'm not not to say that T Wood is going to come in weighing less, but there's such a you know, there's there's a really really big issue with that and I just feel that the UFC needs to start taking a stance also about fighters missing weight on a consistent basis. I I feel that in this case you really want to implement the the three strike rule. If you miss weight three stri- on three different occasions within, you know, a year's time or a year and a half going that route, if you're going a year and a half and you're you you're not making weight, then you're going to have to go up a weight class. You're going to have to go up a weight class. It's not even up for negotiation if you you get fined and your next fight if they keep you, you go up a weight you go up a weight class. Simple as that. If you're at 145, you're going to go up to 155. If you're at 155, 170, et cetera, et cetera. The only pass that I would give, and even that is a stretch, is the heavyweight division because the max is 265, and most of these guys in the heavyweight division make 265 very, very easily. So, uh, Dake says, uh, he goes, not that I disagree, I just don't know how you could enforce it to which... Uh, Lucha Lee responds, it's a personal choice to be healthy long-term. You can't be doing that, but people don't think about that because they think of the immediate situation at hand. And it's true, that's exactly it. You're about to get this payday, you're cutting this weight, you know what the deal is, but sometimes the weight cuts just don't go according to plan. I mean, when I was younger and I had to cut weight, there were times where the weight wasn't coming off fast enough, and it didn't matter that I had a you know the plastic bag suit and I was riding the Airdyne or I was just riding a regular bike or I was jogging, or walking, or on the treadmill. It didn't even matter. I could empty out buckets of water out of the out of the plastic sauna suits when I was in high school. And the fact is that sometimes you just you retained water. Sometimes you retained a little more water than other times. And of course, you can cheat and use diuretics. It's not like high school was testing like it you know like like major sports do nowadays. High school sports back in the '90s weren't really testing aggressively. But there, there, there was some things that people could notice that, you know, would be a factor. I mean, yeah, diuretics were were the name of the game, but sometimes you could just, you know, take a, a natural a natural diuretic and and try to start cutting it out, lowering your salt intake, you know, start drinking distilled water, et cetera, et cetera. There's there's right ways and wrong ways to cut weight, and you have to find the formula that works. And like I said, we we've beat this to death, but I needed to bring it up because that was a huge weight issue. Huge. Uh, Dake says things adds Woodley badly broke his foot in the first round. Otherwise, it would have ended much quicker. This is true, but this just shows how much of a badass Tyron Woodley is for not only taking the fight with the guy being 10 pounds overweight, but breaking his foot and still finishing the fight. It's it's crazy. It's crazy that the fight went the way it did and all the circumstances that added to that situation. Lucha Lee adds, not just that, but a lot of fighters take it as an insult if their opponent don't make weight because they feel they didn't take this fight seriously. And it's true. You know, and it's it's craziness that you're 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 in a profession that you that requires you to be a certain weight at a certain time, you know, and, and that's your career. That's your job. I mean, it's no different than athletes, than professional athletes, celebrities. It's all about peak performance. It's about an expectation, and you're being paid to do that. I mean, it's no different than, 
let's use an example. Chris Hemsworth training for Thor. By the time they start shooting that film, he has to look a certain way, which means that 12 weeks out, you know, 16 weeks out, 18 weeks out, the guy's sitting down with a dietitian, a trainer, a nutritionist, um, you know, and breaking it down, what you got to eat, how much you got to eat, how many times you got to get to the gym, you know, how much protein intake you got to have, how many carbohydrates. Oh, we need you to look lean in this shot. And again, that guy's being paid to look a certain way. Same rule applies to fighters. You're going in there. Your job is to come in on weight and do your job. Your job is to come in on uh, on the scale, weigh the right, right, right amount of weight, step into that cage, go out on your shield like a warrior, and call it a day. That's it. And sure, you know, there could be issues made about payment and, and, you know, nutrition and supplementation and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, when that cage door closes, it's you and your opponent. There's no team in there. There's no nutritionist in there. It's you by your damn self. So if you can't get the shit together and give the respect to the profession, then either you got to go up to another weight class or maybe you just shouldn't be fighting anymore if you can't figure out where you need to be. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that sounds... It sounds a little um, confrontational on my part, but I'm sorry. If I'm a fighter and my job was to come in at 205 pounds and this guy came in 225, 215, whatever the case may be, I'd be, I'd be incredibly upset because it's like I'm starving myself. You know, I'm, I'm putting in the hours in the gym. I'm putting the hours in the sauna and you're just chilling, eating that extra donut or, or maybe you're not doing that extra hour of cardio or maybe you're not doing that extra that extra half an hour, 45 minutes on the airdyne, et cetera, et cetera. And this is one of those things that, like I said, it just, it really just p- would piss me off. I'd, I'd be just as upset because I'd be like, dude, I'm in there, I'm in here grinding it out and you're taking it easy. And not to say that he didn't, because like I said, sometimes there are instances where weight cuts don't go according to plan and you're willing to get a pass once in a while. Like if you miss weight once, it happens. Like I said, not every cut is 100% flawless, but I will say this. If you if you do it on more than one occasion, then we need to start really enforcing some serious penalties. Like I said, three-strike rule, third missed weight, you either go up in weight and, and, and get a fine, or they cut you loose. That's it, until you get your shit together. I mean, they did it with Anthony Johnson, and look at Anthony Rumble Johnson. He's a great example. Guy used to fight at 170. 170 he used to fight and you know he had trouble making weight had trouble making weight and then he just grew into his frame he figured it out and he's a he makes 205 with no problem mind you you see how big Anthony Johnson is and think about it he is up he is now fighting two weight classes higher than when he fought earlier in his career and it took a lot of time and a lot of discipline for you to figure it out you know and mind you, he even took some fights at heavyweight, which is something else that you got You just got to acknowledge. I mean, listen, you know, I walk around, I, I think I'm 230 right now. And, you know, if I had to, if I had to quote unquote, if I had to quote unquote, get in a cage, I'd have to, I'd probably have to fight at 205 because I would never, ever make 155, even though it's the height, I'm, the fight I'm supposed to be at my height, uh, the weight I'm supposed to be at my height. Uh, never happening. 205, probably. But again, think about it. You walk around 240, 230, 
to come down to 205, you know, it's it's a reasonable amount of weight. You got to you got to start curbing that diet. You got to start hitting that airdyne, doing that cardio, putting on that sauna suit, um, you know, sitting in there sweating like nobody's business to make that weight. Again, you know, no diuretics, no supplements, no assistance because it's a it's the real deal in there. But it happens. We'll see what we'll see what goes on with that. And like I said, I got a couple of news items to address regarding Lineker and Gastelum later on in the MMA segment. So I'll definitely get into that in a few minutes. Now, of course, the big one, Nick Diaz, Anderson Silva. Uh, a couple of things. Nick Diaz was in epic troll mode during that fight. Him laying down on the oct- on the octagon floor, just just trying to talk shit to Anderson Silva was masterful in every sense of the word. It it created so much talk. It created so many memes, so many gifs uh, of of that entire exchange. Anderson Silva did secure the victory, but I can tell you when it came down to it, I felt that Nick Diaz definitely was trying to get Anderson Silva to engage because you know. Nick Diaz's bread and butter is counter punching. I mean, he can push the pace, but when you're dealing with a guy like Anderson Silva who comes out there and, and you know, the guy the guy has knockout power, you know, in his arms and his legs, his jujitsu's pretty good. You really are trying to lure him in and try and get those exchanges, which I think is what Nick Diaz was going for. Anderson Silva, <clears throat> excuse me, was definitely working a lot of angles. He was trying to fight smart. You can see there was some hesitation and definitely some rust in there. Nothing crazy, but it was noticeable enough where, you know, you could you can see the apprehension. I, I was shocked that he waited so late into the fight to start throwing leg kicks. But I was impressed with the fact that Anderson Silva, once he threw that first leg kick, he knew it was game on and he really, he woke up and he went in there and he was trying to do his thing. Of course, the aftermath of this fight, is, you know, the bigger story, and I'm going to get into that, and we're going to really kind of take a deep dive into that entire turn of events. But I will say this. Nick Diaz, regardless of whether you love the guy or hate the guy, went in there and fought what many consider to be the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of our generation. I have to disagree because, you know, I I, I really reserve that honor for Fedor first, Anderson Silva second, John Jones George St. Pierre, and, and you know, going to the going into the legends, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell. There's so many people that deserve those great those great fighter pound for pound honors. That you know, I always feel that that's always debatable. But Fedor, for me at the time, was is considered you know the pound for pound greatest fighter of our generation. Yes, in the later part of his career, he did lose. You know, you know, he lost to Bigfoot Silva. He lost to Hen, to, to Hendo. But the fact is that during his time, when when Fedor was fighting, there was a murderer's row of of competition. We had Rampage, we had Vandalay, we had Crow Cop, we had a, a murderer's row of guys. And this is the thing that, you know, myself and a good friend of mine, we were talking about. When you talk about pound for pound, it's very easy to address the pound for pound situation if you're also addressing the level of competition. And the level of competition, depending on which fighter you're talking about, some may feel that the level of competition isn't as aggressive. Like John Jones. Everyone looks at John Jones as the greatest fighter, period, based on, obviously, ability, record, etc. 
But you also have to look at the level of competition, and that's no disrespect to the guys he's fought. But if you talk about competition now versus competition back in the day, there was the problem is that now in the UFC, almost everybody is well-rounded. And it's only when you're when you're disciplined when your disciplines tie together in such a way that you're just better all around that you start separating yourself from the pack. You know, Dake says he goes, I considered Silva the goat, but I'm still processing this test failure. And we are definitely going to address that. He also adds Fedor fought some murderers, but he also fought some absolute tomato cans. He's number two to me all time. You know what the thing is though? When you, when you look at that statement, and you say Fedor fought some murderers and he fought some cans. You also got to address this for every for every champion. I think probably one of the few guys who's been really, 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 really tested in his division is probably George St. Pierre. You know, you look at George St. Pierre, think about every guy he's fought from Matt Hughes, Carlos Condit, um, Nick Diaz. Johnny Hendricks, like all those guys in that division were all dangerous. Dan Hardy, thank you. Um, Josh Koscheck, even for as much as people hate on Josh Koscheck, Josh Koscheck was considered at one point a very, very high prospect at 170. And this is what I'm saying. Like when you look at GSP and you go, yeah, but GSP, who did GSP fight? Well, he fought a lot of fucking dangerous dudes. And these are all guys that have pretty much uh, exchange the title back and forth because that division is really deep. See, 205 is, is interesting because when I talked about the 205 division with Ben last week, Ben said it, you know, once you, once you get to the top five, you know, once you get to the top five of, of light heavyweight, that's really where, where the skill set and the skill level really starts branching out. When you go from five to 10 or even five to 15, it, you know, it you can kind of interchange those guys, which is fucked up, but it's the truth. Think about it. You got John Jones, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Gustafson, Daniel Cormier, Rashad Evans. You know, we talked about this. We look at those five fighters, and then we look at everybody under that. And while everybody under that is good, those five fighters, like I said, they separate. You start seeing guys that are just really really at another level like anthony johnson at you know challenging john jones think about this alexander gustafson took john jones to the limit yet anthony rumble johnson dispatched him like that in the in the blink of an eye that fight was over and this is what i'm saying like these divisions they're not you know there's really not a guy that's head and shoulders that far ahead the only guy that I can probably say, like I say, GSP, um, Jose Aldo's another one. It really frustrates me that they don't acknowledge the fact that this guy has not fucking lost in years. Years. We're talking about a guy that goes in there and dismantles guys piece by piece. And and the UFC doesn't give the guy the, uh, the respect he deserves. Dake says uh, nine years. Nine. Think about that. The guy hasn't lost in nine years. You know, yeah, and you know, uh, John Jones is quote-unquote undefeated, you know, excluding the Matt Hamill thing. Or, you know, this guy's undefeated or that guy's undefeated. But being undefeated for nine 
years, and the UFC's not doing anything with it is insanity. It's insanity at its best. But, again, marketability. making Moving the needle, so to speak. People are like, yeah, well, when you look at the statistics, how, why is Conor McGregor fighting Jose Aldo? Conor McGregor's fighting Jose Aldo because it's about money. You know, it's not about the division. It's about money. Who's getting the, who's bringing in the most paper? And, it, and, that's, and that's where we are. Now, outside of the UFC 183 recap, we do got some news I want to get into. So, um, of course, let's talk fighter bonuses. Uh, $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Tiago Alves, of course, took a bonus for his victory. Talis Latis took a bonus for his. And Tim Bosch and, and Thales, excuse me, Talis Latis took a $50,000 fight of the night bonus as well. Now, like I said, post UFC 183, John Lineker and, and Kelvin Gastelum's uh, fates were being discussed with Dana White. And he said, with regards to Lineker, he's going to have to move up in weight. And when asked about Kelvin Gastelum, Dana White pretty much said that Kelvin Gastelum is a 185 pounder now. He said, with regards to uh, John Lineker, and I quote, uh, looking at Lineker, there's no way he can't make that weight. He should be able to make that weight at his size. Well, he's not going to have the opportunity to make that weight again. He just beat the number three guy in the world, and he did it impressively. Now, with regards to Kelvin Gastelum, Tyron Woodley didn't even want to take his money. He didn't even want to take, uh, Tyron Woodley didn't even want to take the 30% of his purse. Um... He said, when they told me initially I was pissed off, I said some words that uh, Dana and a million other people never would have heard me say. I'm pretty quiet. It's just tough going through training camp, especially for me. I change a lot of things in my life, my diet. I'm not a small welterweight, and I'm a big guy in the welterweight division, so I try to make those lifestyle choices and take it as a professional. I definitely was a little annoyed. And this is what I'm saying. You know, the guy came in 10 pounds heavy, but... As of right now, it's not even a factor anymore because the guy is now, in Dana White's book, a 185-pounder. Now, Dake says, with Lineker gone, you have to do DJ versus Dodson too. I agree. That's probably the only fight on paper that makes sense. And I'll be honest when I say this, Demetrius Johnson has essentially, if he fights Dodson and wins again, cleaned out his division. Now, everybody says, oh, you know, what about Ian McCall? Well, Ian McCall lost. So, Lineker is gone, and sure, you could do uh, Demetrius Johnson and Dodson too, or, you know, maybe you give McCall another fight, see how well he does, and then you do Uncle Creepy and Demetrius Johnson, but at the end of the day, DJ is another guy that's essentially cleaned out his division. He's a guy that could probably go up or even have a super fight right now, and he'd probably make the most, it would make the most sense for him to do it. Because he's got nobody in that division, and the UFC's not even doing anything to grow that division effectively, which is insane. Now, let's talk about the big issue, the elephant in the room, Anderson Silva and Nick Diaz's drug tests. So, Lucha Lee sent me that shortly after I received a, a text message about it, and I read the story, and I saw it, and... Anderson Silva being popped for steroids. I could jump on on this uh, on this show and say, "Yeah, Anderson Silva, fucking cheater, blah blah blah." We got to wait. 
because Anderson Silva is already denying. He's like, yo, I didn't use nothing. I'm clean. I'm not trying to tarnish my legacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let's, I'm going to step outside of the frame, so to speak, and I'm going to address this with the, with the what-if scenario. If Anderson Silva recovered from his leg break that quickly, he might have had some help. Steroids do aid in recovery from injuries. This is a fact. But taking that into consideration, there are factors there that make for a strong case. Like I said, the guy broke his leg and came back with what's called a remarkable recovery. There's three there's two thing there's three things that help you recover at that rate. A money. B good genetics. C help out of a bottle. Simple as that. If you're a professional athlete and you got the best money in the world, you're going to recover faster than most guys because you're going to go to the best doctors, the best trainers, the best rehab facilities and you're going to be back at 110% sooner rather than later. And yes, a case can be made that the UFC did invest that money to ensure Anderson Silva came back. But, and this is a big but, if somebody wanted to give him an edge to recover faster, and they said, hey, you know, we're going to give you this, maybe he knew what it was, maybe he didn't. Most times you know what what you're putting in your body, but it's another avenue that we have to consider now. If for if for whatever reason Anderson Silva's testing results were tainted, this is gonna this is gonna take the black eye that the UFC and the commission had already, and it's gonna give pretty much it's gonna give them two black eyes at this point, because this is the contamination of a sample. And that's a big, big fucking problem. Again, if that is the case. Anderson Silva, for as long as we've watched him fight, we've always seen him fight, and he's always been clean. On the contrary, when he fought Stefan Bonner, Stefan Bonner was the guy that wasn't clean. So, I'm trying to suspend my my I'm trying to suspend my disbelief for the time being because there's a lot of different factors at play here, and if he has medical proof that his drug test was clean before it got sent to the lab, that's a big problem. On top of the fact that by releasing it and acknowledging it as such, you've created the, the, the doubt, the specter of, of doubt in the eyes of the fans because they're looking at this guy like, yo, this guy's the greatest fighter of all time. Really? He's a fucking, he juiced? And you know, this isn't any, my, this isn't me getting on my, on a pedestal talking about the rights and wrongs of steroids and supplementation. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the fact that if this is a guy that was clean, says he was clean, and the test results were altered or contaminated, that's a big problem. Now, of course, if that's not the case, and he did and he did piss hot, then maybe we got to dig a little deeper and find out if it was an intentional to aid in recovery, and if so, who authorized that, or if it was unintentional, and it was, quote-unquote, accidental again these are all things we got to look at i'm trying to let the entire the entire chain of events play out like i said anderson silva was was tested out of competition so to speak and um 
you know, he he tested positive for the metabolites on January 9th. That's what they're saying. Um, in Nick Diaz's case, obviously he got popped for weed, and we shouldn't even we shouldn't even worry about it. But um, like Lucha Lee just said, we don't want another Kung Lee on our hands, and it's true because even if Kung Lee was guilty, the fact was that the testing practices of the UFC were called into question. And with a, a fighter as high profile as Anderson Silva, if this is a, a repeat offense, a, a repeat situation of that, that's a big fucking problem. Very big. Now, in Nick Diaz's case, he's failed tests in 2007 and, two, and, and 2013, both times in Nevada. Um, after Nick Diaz's test in 2013, the Nevada State Athletic Commission raised the threshold for a positive test to 150 from the original limit. Now, we don't know how high Nick Diaz's levels were because they haven't been released yet. But I got to say this. We all know the guy smokes trees. We know it. We know the guy smokes the occasional blunt. It, it this This really is not something that is a surprise to me. But what is surprising is the the commission's continued insistence of going after, you know, marijuana use on such a such an aggressive scale. Because think about it. Cocaine is not a banned substance. (laughs) That's all I got to say. Cocaine is not a banned substance. But weed is. But cocaine, not so much. Anyway. Caesar Gracie was interviewed by TMZ, and he said that Anderson Silva's win over uh, Diaz should be overturned um, because, like I said, uh, due to the out-of-competition drug test that showed the anabolic steroids in his system. Um, you know, it, it was funny because Caesar Gracie, he's, he's, he's a pretty on-the-ball guy, and for him to speak to TMZ the way he did, he said, in my opinion... It needs to be overturned because you got a guy on performance-enhancing drugs. I get it. Silva's getting up there in age, but if you need steroids to fight, you shouldn't be fighting. When asked about Nick Diaz's failed test, he said, Diaz passed a drug test before the fight and added, anyone with half a brain would know weed is not a performance-enhancing drug. This is true. They make them take a test before they even license him to fight in Nevada. Now, see, that's, that's an interesting situation because... He got tested before he was licensed. He was clean, yet the test after the fight was the test that had marijuana metabolites. And this is what I'm saying. It's so fucking weird. In order for him to get licensed, he has to his his urine was clean to get licensed. Then all of a sudden, magically, after the fight, his you know he has marijuana metab- metabolites in his system and i'm going to i'm going to put this out there and um exactly dake says so he smoked in the locker room exactly like what did he do did he eat a pot brownie before he went out there get the fuck out of here this is this is the this is the kind of shit that really just makes me question the Nevada State Athletic Commission it really does now and I'm going to see if I can if I can find uh, someone reputable that we can have on air. I really would like to know how 
the testing procedures for for urine testing are handled by by athletic commissions. I'd love to know how that works because all right, you piss in this cup. Then what? All right, it goes to a lab. Where's the lab? How how far how much in, you know, how long is the sample in transit? Is there risk of contamination? What type of of a facility is it? Is it secure? Etc., etc., etc. Same thing with with Anderson Silva's, uh, you know, results. Because again, this is a guy who's been clean. And yes, you can make a you can make a case that, hey, maybe they gave him something to help him recover faster. But if that's the case, then we need medical proof. It's just it's just such a sketchy and and fucked up situation. And I really just I feel terrible as a fan because there's one side of me that says. Yo, a fight's a fight. Anderson Silva fought his ass off and, you know, he won, but the fight could have gone either way. Then there's the other part of me that has to be, you know, the pundit, the guy that comes on uh, on in front of this camera, in front of this microphone and tries to give you guys the the best uh, the best opinions possible from both sides. And this is what I got to say. If you're a longtime fan of mixed martial arts, you know that mixed martial arts has evolved to the point where most of it is is so laughable and it has so many so many parallels with professional wrestling that you you're you, sometimes you look at, at at some of the matches and some of the booking for some of these fights and it really is straight out of an episode of Monday Night Raw. It really is. But on the flip side, I also look at this as a sport where there's a lot of money being exchanged. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't even have the slightest clue about. And the fact is that when you take this stuff into consideration, you know that things can get altered and things can get fucked up, but things can always be fixed with money. Simple as that. The UFC is starting to become to a degree like boxing. It really is. For as much as people said that the UFC was a cleaner, more organized sport than boxing, pot, meat, kettle. Because the UFC is really starting to get fucking sketchy with all their shit. Because think about it. You know, Anderson Silva's test was out of competition. And the test results came in, allegedly, on January 9th. These guys, they fought January 31st. So that means from January 9th to the 31st, quote unquote, out of competition testing, nobody thought this would be a good idea to investigate before it was made public. So you mean to tell me that if the UFC knew that he tested positive before his fight, there wasn't any sort of research being done or any sort of of digging to find out if this was true. So essentially, you let Anderson Silva go in there quote-unquote, with performance-enhancing drugs in his system. That's what I'm being led to believe. On the flip side, like I said, Nick Diaz, post-fight drug test, marijuana metabolites. How is that possible? Post-fight. It's like, oh, you just finished fighting one of the greatest fighters of all time. Piss in this cup. All right, homie, no problem. Go check it out. Oh, look, this guy, like... Again, like Dake said, so he smoked weed in the locker room. <laughs> Holy shit, it is a circus and a half. 
you know? Oh, he added a better one, definitely. Uh, for, for one of our, our newer participants in the chat, guys definitely on the ball tonight. He puts, uh, so Nick Diaz survived five rounds with, with the arguable greatest of all time while high. That's what you're saying. That's essentially it. The dude went in there high as a kite, allegedly, and he survived. That's 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 what the Nevada State Athletic Commission wants me to believe. <laughs> Fuck at the, at this point, I might as well. I might as well believe the shit. <laughs> I'm serious because it's 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 so insane and it's so over the top, and it bothers me because, like I said. There needs to be one unified testing facility, facility excuse me, in, in Las Vegas that handles VADA-level testing, Olympic-level testing, a secure facility. The same way there's money for casinos and, and the commission is lining their pockets, there should be one centralized facility that handles this that is by the fucking book. Like I said, the Kung Lee situation should have taught everyone a lesson. Clearly, it did not. So, Anderson Silva's hearing, his disciplinary hearing, um, wait, let me, uh, Diaz is going to have his d- disciplinary hearing on February 17th. Um, I'm not sure if Anderson Silva's di- hearing is going to be on the 17th as well, uh, but we will be watching that very closely because, again, very, very huge news story and it's it's really it's really a story that's capable of changing the landscape for mixed martial arts because if Anderson Silva's test is legitimate and he was using performance enhancing drugs the guy's legacy is in the toilet it doesn't matter who he beat who he didn't beat it's it's this and that's the problem you can say oh the maybe the guy was clean you know it was just this one time but the problem is fans are fickle the same MMA fans that are shocked about this now are the same MMA fans that two weeks ago, a month ago, were writing Anderson Silva off as a guy whose career was finished. Let's let's not kid ourselves. Me as a as an opinionated pundit, not a not a journalist, not a, any sort of a, of an authority in anything, have to say that let's wait for everything to play out before we pass judgment. Anderson Silva, regardless of it, remains one of the greatest fighters of all time, period. Yes, performance-enhancing drugs do quote-unquote enhance performance, but it's going to take a mediocre guy and make him good, and it might take a great fighter and make him great, but in Anderson Silva's case, the guy's been a great fighter for as long as I've watched him fight. Simple as that. Let's wait till all the cards are on the table before we make judge before we make before we have a rush to judgment. Simple as that. I'm not going to pass judgment on Nick Diaz because Nick Diaz smokes weed. We all know it. It's not a shock. It is what it is. All right. So Bellator is back on Spike TV next week with a very, very solid card. Uh, Melvin Manoff, one of my favorite fighters, is taking on Alexander Shlomenko. Um, on the featherweight side of things, Pat Curran is taking on Daniel Weichel. Uh, the women's featherweight feature fight is going to have Julia Budd taking on Talita Nogueira. And on the other welterweight side, uh, excuse me, on the other welterweight feature fight side, it's going to be Chris Honeycutt taking on Clayton McFarlane. The prelims are going to be on Spike.com at 8 p.m. The main card will be on Spike TV at 9 o'clock. 
Write it down on your calendars, February 13th from the Save March Center in Fresno, California. Now, the other thing I wanted to discuss, of course, with the UFC all over the place and trying to get people to get fight pass and all this other shit, uh, they recently announced that they are increasing the prices of pay-per-views. So, instead of the usual, the pay-per-views will be increasing $5. So, they're going to be $49.99 in standard definition and $59.99 in HD. Again, this $5 increase, not a shocker at this point, but... At the, at the rate we're going with regards to the UFC and their and their constant array of fight cards, you're you're gonna pick and choose how you spend those sixty dollars because there's a lot of good free there's a lot of good free TV MMA and as of late, like I said, a lot of cards just don't warrant that's excuse me they don't warrant that sixty dollar investment. So you guys are you know have been informed. Hey, we're putting we're raising the prices five bucks. But unless you have a card that's on that's on par with UFC 100 or remotely close to that, you're not going to get $60 out of me. I'm either going to, you know, either watch the fight at at a Dave and Buster's or or at a Buffalo Wild Wings or I'm going to go to my local UFC gym and I'm going to watch the fight there. That's how I watched Jones and Cormier. I went right to the UFC gym. They got a big, you know, 100 plus inch television in there. And, you know, they have multiple screens and I ended up watching the fight after the fight was over. I went home and that was it. All it cost me was a couple of bucks to drive up there, essentially. And then I went home. (laughs) You know, it's it's that's what's happening. You know, you want people to invest sixty dollars on a card and out of 12 fights, maybe there's three you really want to see. It's crazy. But uh, this this is why. For as much as people talk shit about the WWE Network, I pay that $10 with a smile on my face. Because there's more value there. And of course, you can say, oh yeah, well Rich, why, you know, you could get UFC Fight Pass. Yeah, sure you could. But you're not going to get every pay-per-view. You're going to get a couple. But you're not going to get them all. Simple as that. You're not getting all of them. You're getting a couple of Fight Passes. Uh, you're getting a couple of uh, international fight cards. And... Maybe the occasional special ultimate fighter, but you're not getting like, uh, you know, hardcore pay-per-view fights. You're getting, you know, fights that they couldn't put on Fox for whatever reason. That's what you're getting. Not the same type of value. I'll give Vince McMahon the 10 bucks because I've already made my money back with Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble, you know, WrestleMania, last year's WrestleMania. I've made, I've, I, you know, the investment has already paid off with the UFC fight pass. It's not the same, not even remotely the same. All right. So as I mentioned earlier on in the segment, UFC 180, um, during UFC 183's weigh-ins, it was announced that Chris Weidman was injured and is off the card and out of the main event against Vitor Belfort. Now, what this means is that Kazingano and Ronda Rousey are being bumped up to main event the card. Now, the funny thing was when Vitor, uh, when it was announced that Weidman was out, a couple of different fights were offered to Vitor that he did not want to take. Uh, he said that he was going to wait for Weidman to recover, which is being estimated for May. Originally, he was going to get an interim title opportunity against Lyoto Machida, to which he declined then he was offered a fight against Gegard Mousasi, which he also declined. And uh, yeah, 
that's where we're at with Vitor. And um, a case can be made that, yo, Vitor, you know, you want a belt, you want to fight, go in there, fight the Dragon, win the belt, unify it against Weidman, and call it a day. You can make that, you can make that, you can make that argument, and it's a strong one. It's a legitimate one, but this is a guy who's been who's been chasing this belt for as long as I can remember, and he's just deciding that he's he's gonna wait it out. So Chris Weidman's estimated return to the cage is May. We are in February. That's three months. And I honestly felt that Vitor should have fought. He should have fought. He should have fought Machida. And if you're that good, if you feel that you're you're the guy that can beat Weidman, then you can surely beat Machida. Simple as that. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Now, with um with Kat Zingano and, Ra- and Ronda Rousey in the main event, it makes you wonder what is your co-main? Well, Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington is your co-main for that card. Also on that card, Jake Ellenberger is taking on Josh Koscheck, Alan Juban is taking on Richard Walsh, and Tony Ferguson is taking on Yancey Medeiros. On the prelims, Rowan Carnero is taking on Mark Munoz, uh, Roman Salazar is taking on Kid Yamamoto, which I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, Diego Lima is taking on Tim Means, and Derek Lewis is taking on Ruan Potts, and the prelims are on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m. Eastern. The main card, as I said, February 28th at the Los Angeles Staples Center, Ronda Rousey, Kat Zingano's your main event. Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington is your co-main. The ladies are front and center. Let's see if they move the needle. And I'll honestly say that out of that main event, out of those five fights, I want to see three of them. So uh, I, I may order the card. Maybe. We'll see. Out of those five fights, I definitely want to see three. I think Koscheck and Ellenberger is going to be a surprisingly good fight. Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington is going to be just as interesting. And, of course, uh, Rousey and Zingano, long time in the making, and I think that's going to be the the real fight that's going to test Ronda. I mean, Ronda definitely was tested a little bit with Misha Tate, but Kat Zingano's got a, a whole other level of striking, and I'm going to, I'm going to be curious to see if Ronda Rousey's stand-up technique that she's been working on so, so viciously is going to be a factor in this fight or if it's going to continue to be the usual setup for the armbar submission and call it a day. I will say this, um, you know, I it's 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 crazy to me. Uh, Dake says uh, that Vitor wanted to fight Munoz for the real belt. He also adds that Munoz is on a two-fight losing streak. Dude, what does that tell you? Just Just saying that, and the fact that he turned down, what, two fights, three fights, because allegedly, allegedly he was going to, you know, there was a rumor he was going to fight Yoel Romero. Then, you know, it, it was like, oh, Yoel Romero. Then uh, Gegar Mousasi. Then, like I said, Lyoto Machida. It's, it's fucking insane. It's stupid. The problem is, and, and nobody wants to say it, this is Vitor's last chance at a belt. And he's going to try every way possible to get that opportunity and if he wins it, he'll probably win it, defend it maybe once, lose it, and maybe retire. I hate to say it, but it's true. And the funny thing is, Vitor's talking all this shit about Weidman being injured. And it's like, dude, you couldn't challenge for the belt the first time because they got rid of TRT. So I don't know why you're over here talking shit about Weidman being injured when the first time you were supposed to fight 
they were they were they were getting rid of TRT and you had to level off. Give me a fucking break. Have you guys seen pictures of Vitor lately? The guy looks like a coat hanger. It's not the same dude. It's all bullshit. Really is. I you know, I like Vitor. I grew up watching the guy fight. He's a talented guy, but don't fucking bullshit us, man. Come on. You know, you look like a normal dude now. No more TRT. Now you got to go in there and really put you really test yourself. If you feel you're, you know, you're this this old lion that's, you know, fighting against all the young lions, then you would go out there and do what you got to do. You'd put on them gloves, you'd fight for the interim belt, and you'd handle your business. Simple as that. You know, are you scared that Machida may whoop your ass? He might. But you know what? At least you took the fight and you showed that you could get it done. And of course, a lot of people are like, yeah, but he's trying to secure his title opportunity, etc., etc. Dude, if you're ready to fight and you want to fight and you want to save that card, then you should, you know, you should... You know, strap in them gloves and handle your business. And then, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I'm sure the UFC will remember if you stepped up, you know, they'll they'll save a title opportunity for you. And that's the thing that gets me. The guy, the guy went in there and like Dana White and the UFC always say, you know, you help us, we help you. You mean to tell me that if you wouldn't have taken that fight, he wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't fight and he lost. They wouldn't allow him or find a way to give him another opportunity to put him back in the title picture. It's ridiculous. This coming from a fucking guy who hasn't fought at middleweight in two years. And on top of that, like I said, couldn't even do the first title fight because of fucking TRT. It's, it's absurd. Stop talking all that shit. You know, you're shitting on Chris Weidman because of an injury, but yet. He had to wait on you because you had to get all the chemicals out of your system. You fucking break. Stupid. All right. Now that I got that out of my system, (laughs) Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo will be squaring off July 11th in Las Vegas as part of International Fight Week. Note that on your calendars, ladies and gentlemen, as Ireland's favorite, excuse me, Ireland's favorite son squares off against one of the most dangerous pound-for-pound guys on the planet, and we're going to find out if the hype train is real and if Conor McGregor is the real deal. Simple as that. Everybody talks about entertainment, money, all this shit, but I'm going to be honest. If I were Conor McGregor, I would look at this opportunity as a way to silence my critics. Silence them. Yo, who has he fought? He hasn't fought, you know, he hasn't fought all the top five guys, whatever the case may be. You know, silence your critics, win the belt, defend the belt, and go down in history as the guy that had the most most personality, talked talked himself into a fight, won the belt, defended the belt, and goes down in history as one of the the all-time greats. Right now, I look at you as Irish Chael Sonnen. And I love Chael. I like Conor McGregor too. But dude, I gotta, I gotta admit, Chad Mendez. You know, you look at Chad Mendez. You look at Frankie Edgar. Those guys gotta be annoyed, man. I'd be fucking annoyed. You know, I'd be annoyed that I didn't get a chance to fight you, but you're already fighting for the belt. And like I said, 
This guy has a whole country buying fucking pay-per-views. Money's money. Numbers are numbers. And I understand that. But for the guys that go in there, grind in the gym, bust their ass, you know what this does to those guys? It tells them that the only way that they can get ahead is not just with ability, but by being a showman and an over-the-top an over the top character is the only way that you can get ahead. And it just sends a poor message. Again, that's not to say that Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor is not going to be a great fight or that Conor McGregor is not a legitimately good guy. The guy is legitimately good, but you didn't fight the guys in the top three. You didn't. You defended, you, you defeated Dennis Seaver and that got you a title opportunity. And yes, you can say, yeah, but he defeated Dennis Seaver very soundly. Okay, great. But what about Frankie Edgar? What about Chad Mendez? What about those guys? At least Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar and Conor McGregor would have sold a lot of fucking tickets. Would have sold a lot. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to sell out a stadium like him and Jose Aldo will. But, you know, it's still a, a, a sizable amount of money there. And again, even this fight, this fight, July 11th is taking place in Brazil. You know, he's fighting a guy, you know, he's not fighting a guy in Brazil. They're fighting in Vegas. And don't get me wrong. The Vegas crowd is great. But again, an entire country and they fought in Brazil. Forget it. That country would have been burned to the ground and forget it. If they fought in Ireland, sadly, obviously the, um, you know, the, uh, the curfew over there kind of derailed those plans but still statistically like i've said in terms of statistics and mma math conor mcgregor was gift wrapped this title opportunity in terms of ufc dollar sign math this is the fight that people want to see and i i do want to see it i mean don't get me wrong it's a fight that i will see that i will be right there sitting there to watch you know glued to my seat because that fight is going to be a testament to how great Jose Aldo is or if Conor McGregor just wrote a check that his ass can't cash. That's it. We're going to find out. We're going to find out what who's the real deal here. Because I'll tell you this much. If Conor McGregor beats Jose Aldo soundly and in convincing fashion, he's going to silence a lot of fucking people. But he's also going to paint a big target on his chest. And that, my friends, is going to make for some really, really good fights. So we'll see what happens. July 11th is still a a bit off, but mark it down on your calendars. Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor. All right, so usually they give this, uh, they give these um, MMA awards on television. I don't know why they haven't given them yet, or maybe I missed the broadcast, but fighters only announced the winners of their 2014 World MMA Awards. And um, a couple of interesting categories and a couple of interesting awards that were handed out. I just want to read you, read to you guys the winners. Um, fighter of the year. There were a lot of great fighters in 2014. A lot of guys that went in there and had amazing performances. Uh, the winner of fighter of the year was Robbie Lawler, who also got our fighter of the year honors for my take radio and rage works. Uh, Well-deserved. Robbie Lawler had a tremendous year, an incredible fighter, a great performer, and just an all-around cool-ass dude. He goes in there, punches the clock, punches people in the face, and handles his business. I mean, you know, it couldn't it couldn't have been awarded to a, to a more well-deserving individual. The Lifetime Achievement Award went to Burt Watson, which we know. 
Female Fighter of the Year, the winner should come as no shock to anyone that it was Ronda Rousey. Breakthrough Fighter of the Year honors went to Kelvin Gastelum. International Fighter of the Year, big shocker, Conor McGregor. Fight of the Year, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, UFC 179. Knockout of the Year, Mark Hunt versus Roy Nelson at UFC Fight Night 52. Submission of the Year, Ben Saunders on Chris Heatherly at UFC Fight Night 49. Comeback of the Year, Dominic Cruz, which, um, yeah, I, uh, comeback of the Year for Dominic Cruz is just like, yeah. That's, that's what I think of. Oh, and this. That's, that's what I think of with uh, Dominic Cruz and, and comeback fighter of the year. Uh, upset of the year, TJ Dillashaw defeating Henan Barrow at UFC 173. The Sean Tompkins coach of the year honors went to Dwayne Bang Ludwig. Well-deserved. Gym of the year, team alpha male. I'm sure that's highly debatable. Uh, trainer of the year went to Mike Dolce. The referee of the year honors went to Herb Dean. Ring card girl of the year. We know it's going to go to Ariane Celeste, and sure enough, it did. Uh, leading man of the year, Dana White, because why wouldn't it? Even though Scott Coker deserves some recognition for, for making Bellator interesting again, but whatever. Personality of the year went to Joe Rogan. Best promotion, of course, went to the UFC. Best lifestyle clothing brand awards went to Bad Boy. Uh, best technical clothing brand went to Venom. Uh, best supplier of technical equipment went to Everlast, which is crazy. Media source of the year, MMA Junkie. And journalist of the year, which not a shocker, Ariel Helwani. So there you have it, guys. Uh, Fighters Only 2014 World MMA Award recipients. Uh, again, some of those guys, some of those awards are highly, highly questionable, but what can you do? It's 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 all about quote unquote fan voting and fairness, but you know, Ring Card Girl of the Year, really Ariane Celeste. I mean, you know, you could have said Brittany Palmer, you know, uh, a bunch of other ta- you know, talented ring card ladies from other organizations, but you know you're gonna give it to Ariane. Same thing with Dana White getting the award as usual. Um Personality of the year going to Joe Rogan. While I understand that, I probably would have given it to Chael. I think Chael was a more intriguing personality uh, this year, you know, in 2014 versus Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, you know, Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan. Like, that's that's not even a shock to me, you know? Like, Joe Rogan has his podcast, does his hunting, uh, you know, works with on it, does a lot of cool shit. But, again... Personality of the year, eh, not so much. Anyway, switching gears, I I actually want to talk about this because this is pretty fucking crazy. Uh, Benson Henderson is stepping in for the UFC on Fox card, which is uh, UFC Fight Night 60, and is moving up to welterweight for this fight. He's um, replacing Stephen Thompson, who was injured, and that card is taking place February 14th. Uh, Really crazy that Benson Henderson is fighting at 170. How insane is that? 170 he's fighting at instead of the usual 155, taking on Brandon Thatch. Max Holloway is facing Cole Miller. Uh, Kichi Kunimoto, uh, Keichi Kunimoto, excuse me, is taking on Neil Magny. Uh, Daniel Kelly is taking on Patrick Walsh. 
Uh, Mitchell Parzeris is taking on Kelvin Lee, uh, excuse me, Kevin Lee, and Ray Borg is taking on Chris Calades. Again, UFC on Fox Sports 1 uh, reported this in the UFC 183 post show. Uh, Benson Henderson is going up to 170. Uh, very, very interesting addition to the 170-pound division. Uh, ben Henderson is incredibly talented, incredibly versatile, and we'll see if he comes in there at 170 and continues to have that same explosive technique that he's had for quite some time or if, he, or if he's going to get more knockout power. It's going to be very interesting to see, that's for sure. I see that Tumbling with Tumbleweed and VGN's Don Anderson is in the chat. Big shout-out to him. Make sure to check out Tumbling with Tumbleweed on Tuesday nights at 11 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Don Anderson is a longtime friend, a uh, guy who... Him, Kevin Beard, those guys, I pretty much consider them family. So definitely check him out. Uh, Donnie always kills it on Blog Talk Radio. He's made probably better use of the service than I have most times. But um, uh, Donnie does kill it, so make sure to show your support. I'll make sure to include a link for you guys to check out Tumbling with Tumbleweed in the show notes. Now, as a wrestling fan... And an MMA fan, we've been talking about Brock Lesnar's future post-WrestleMania, and it's pretty much a given that Brock Lesnar would return to the UFC. But a very interesting statement from Dana White uh, that he made to the Fight Network has kind of made things look a little clearer with regards to Brock Lesnar. And the reason I say this is because Dana White stated that Brock Lesnar has no fights left on his Zufa contract, meaning that when he completes his tenure at WWE, either he can continue and re-sign with the WWE, or he can sign with Bellator, World Series of Fighting, or the UFC. This is very interesting because, obviously, we all know that Brock Lesnar is probably making the jump back to mixed martial arts. But um, the thing that gets me is that if he goes, if he goes to Bellator... The Viacom is going to pay him a monstrous amount of money, but the wealth of competition in Bellator leaves a bit to be desired. Now, if Brock Lesnar goes back to the UFC, it makes things very interesting on the heavyweight side of things because there's a couple of you know interesting fights. I talked about him fighting Roy Nelson. Excuse me, Brendan Schaub has been a guy that's been throwing his name out there, trying to get a fight with Brock. Um, you know, you could talk Stipe Miocic. Uh, you can talk Stefan Struve. You can, you know, you can get another rematch with Overeem. You can get a fight with uh, Frank Mir. So there's a lot of intriguing matchups for Brock Lesnar. Is he a guy that's going to get back in the heavyweight title picture? I'm not too sure that is the case unless, of course, Brock Lesnar applies himself and goes and does a real fight camp, you know, with the Black Zillions or, ja- or Jackson's MMA, Jackson Winklejohn, or um, any of these other elite MMA gyms and doesn't just decide that he's going to train with his own gym and uh, we'll see what happens like I said WrestleMania is roughly a month out we got WWE Fastlane next WrestleMania after and Brock I believe still has another date for the Raw after WrestleMania so we'll see what happens I think um, you know like I said it's very interesting that Brock Lesnar's brand new character skin is available in the brand new UFC game available on PS4 and Xbox One, but um, that's that's a uh, that's something that just jumped out at us uh, not too long ago, and you know we mentioned it on air 
But I'm curious to see where he goes. Like I said, he has no fights on his Zufa contract. So Brock Lesnar will essentially be a free agent. Of course, once I find out more, I will let you guys know immediately. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Ben and I were very excited about Rafael Asuncao facing off against Uriah Faber, UFC Fight Night 62. Well, in the, in the words of Wade Barrett, I'm afraid I've got some bad news as the injury bug strikes and Rafael Asuncao is injured and is unavailable to compete against Uriah Faber at UFC Fight Night 62. Right now, there's still an opponent being looked at. They're still looking for an opponent for him, but um, definitely puts a big dent on that card, especially because that is the main event. Um, it was announced, though, that Ali Akinta will be facing uh, Jorge Masvidal at UFC Fight Night 63, which um, definitely is, is a step up in competition. As for Uriah Faber, hopefully we'll have a new opponent, um, you know, news on a new opponent for him for next week's show. Uh, also on that card, Gilbert Burns taking on Josh Thompson. Ben Saunders and Eric Silver are fighting, which is going to be a very, very good fight. Um, one of the uh, Shayna Baszler also on that card taking on Amanda Nunes. Now, I want to close things out by letting you guys know that if you're not into the ground game of mixed martial arts and you want to check out uh, an alternative, I recommend you check out the Glory Kickboxing Series. Uh, those guys really do a tremendous job, them and uh, Legacy Kickboxing on Access TV. But Glory actually has a card this Friday on Spike TV. Uh, Rico Verhoeven is going to be defending his title against Errol Zimmerman. These guys are, are bitter rivals, and it's going to be an amazing fight. If you're not a fan of the ground game and, you like, and you're more a fan of the stand-up, uh, definitely give Glory a shot if you have Spike TV. Uh, that will be this Friday, February 6th, and you'll be able to watch that. I believe it starts at 9 o'clock, and once we get some, some news on it or maybe we can share uh, some additional information, we will post it on RageWorks.net. I see uh, Dake says uh, they should do Edgar versus Faber at 140 or 145, both kind of out of contention. Uh, Lucha Lee says... Favor says he likes 135. I don't see him moving anytime soon. To which Dake says, one-time deal? Hell, I'd like to see Frankie Edgar and, 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 and Uriah Faber. Fuck, I'd watch that shit. That would be an awesome fight. Even if it's just for to save this card, man. I'd watch that. For sure. I mean, if Benson Henderson is, 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 doing, is doing them a solid by going up to 170, shit, I don't mind seeing Uriah Faber fight at, at 140 or 145. Hell yeah. Uh, definitely good stuff. Lucha Lee adds, I'd like to see it happen, but I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, dude, sometimes these guys step up to do the right thing for the organization. Sometimes the organization uh, gives them, dangles some good carrots. But um, we'll see what happens. Like I said, Uriah Faber, hopefully they find him an opponent because if they, he gets pulled from this card, um, you know, it's it's going to be, it's it, it, not to say that it's a terrible card, but... Do we really want to see Ryan LaFlair and Damian Maya as your main event? And not so much. But we'll see what the case is. Again, hopefully we'll have news on an opponent for next week's show. All right, guys, that is going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. As always, I want to thank our participants in the chat. Uh, Dake for his contributions. Of course, our very own Lucha Lee for his contributions as well. As for wrestling, we're going to be discussing 
this week's episode of Raw, plus all the other wrestling news as well. You know what time it is. Book, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code is WWESAVE10 to save $10 courtesy of us for WWEShop.com. All right, let's talk about Monday Night Raw, which, of course, had was a big lead-in for Triple H's appearance on the Stone Cold Podcast. Now... Last week, Raw was derailed due to the snowstorm, and we actually had a live episode of SmackDown Thursday, which, of course, teased a groundbreaking, amazing announcement courtesy of Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, a.k.a. The Authority. Now, I will say that Raw was, before I get into the matches themselves, was a very, very surprising broadcast this past week for a couple of reasons. The plot was cohesive, the angle advancements made sense, and... Above all, a lot of good wrestling. It had a, a sizable a sizable amount of, of backstage segments that added to the overall product. Plus, we got some really, really good matches building up to WWE Fastlane. Now, we've joked about this pay-per-view and the fact that it's essentially filler for WrestleMania. But I think WWE is really trying to, to push it to the next level, number one. Because they made the network free for the month of February, number two, because they know that they got to get people invested in this brand new pay-per-view. Of course, we got John Cena and Rusev on that card, and the other matches that were put together courtesy of Raw was Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins. The winner would fight Roman Reigns at Fastlane, and if Roman Reigns won, he would go on to face Brock Lesnar, but if he lost, the winner, either Seth Rollins or Daniel Bryan, would go on to WrestleMania to wrestle Brock Lesnar for the WWE World Heavyweight title. Of course, the biggest issue was the elephant in the room that Roman Reigns had assistance from The Rock to secure his Royal Rumble victory. Now, I think the authority was really trying to make it, uh, you know, kind of put Roman Reigns, back him into a corner. I mean, don't get me wrong. Paul Heyman did an amazing job selling Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns on the tape, you know, on the Raw episode from WWE headquarters. But I do feel that in order to establish Roman Reigns as the guy, you have to have him overcome a fair amount of odds. It kind of reinforces this whole one versus all catchphrase that they're trying to get over. And I think it works. Um, As for the match itself, we'll get into that later on. But I definitely feel that Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins have the potential to have a long-term rivalry for the for for the foreseeable future. Anyway, for every good thing there is always a little bit of bad, and that was the big show and Roman Reigns which I you know, I elaborated on in our 3 hours of raw column on Rageworks, and the reason is that you take Roman Reigns, you're building this guy up, and then you put him in a match with the big show who defeats him, and yes, there were shenanigans, but again, It's a match we've seen a dozen times. It was incredibly fucking sloppy. And I'm sorry to say, but 
If you're trying to get Roman Reigns over as a threat, as a credible wrestler, putting him in there with the Big Show, a guy who can't carry anyone to a match, is just an insult. Don't get me wrong, the Big Show used to be the guy back in the day. You know, oh, your mystery opponent is, and you knew it was the Big Show, and you knew an ass whooping was coming, but it's not the case nowadays. On the contrary, WWE has a very big void when it comes to big guys that continue to call, you know, the big guys that are that are forces to be reckoned with. I mean, Luke Harper, which I'm going to talk about later on, is probably the only guy on that roster that is agile enough, mobile enough, and has enough wrestling acumen to carry guys in matches. Kane used to be that guy too, but Kane is getting a little older. He's getting a little slower. And, um, you know, I definitely feel that having Roman Reigns in the big show open up Monday Night Raw, even though it was a setup for what transpires later on in the evening, was just a terrible start. Like I said, Roman Reigns and the big show do not have the chemistry to carry a feud. Roman Reigns because he has terrible fucking mic work and the big show because he can't carry anybody in a match. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Anyway, so... I see that uh, Donnie says that Curtis Axel was robbed and Dake says that he agrees. Um, I Yes, Curtis Axel was robbed, but I like the way that he was utilized in this segment because, of course, it brought out Dean Ambrose, which, of course, uh, leads to Dean Ambrose being over-the-top fucking crazy and announcing that he is setting his sights on the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Now, I think this is a good idea for a couple of reasons. One, it gives Ambrose something legitimate to do Two, it starts building the seed. It starts building uh, a potential match for either Fastlane or WrestleMania. And three, I think that working with a guy like Bad News Barrett allows a guy like Dean Ambrose to expand beyond just being the crazy guy that does insane stuff. You know? Simple as that. I like Dean Ambrose. I do feel that sometimes they don't know how to gauge or how to monitor his level of crazy. And the reason I say this is because When you look at Dean Ambrose, you see shades of Brian Pillman, you see shades of Heath Ledger's Joker, and there, my friends, is the true problem. And I say this because when Dean Ambrose was being maniacal and a little crazy as a member of the Shield, there were there were a lot of parallels to Heath Ledger's Joker, and it worked. Then he started sprinkling in a little bit more of Brian Pillman's loose cannon character, and then just being extra over the top, which took him from a level of complete psychopath to comedic, you know, comedic crazy guy. And that's not what you want. You want a guy like Dean Ambrose to have to have that presence of holy shit, this guy's out of his mind and he's going to fuck shit up. Unfortunately, WWE spending more time making Dean Ambrose of a caricature of crazy instead of making him legitimate crazy. And the reason I say this is because when you look at a guy like Bray Wyatt, a guy who embodies evil, you know, he's supposed to be this evil, mal- mal- you know, um, malicious, uh, diabolical persona, and they've done a good job with it. But what you need to do is you need to make Dean Ambrose the antithesis of that. So if, if Bray Wyatt is this diabolical persona, Dean Ambrose is supposed to be crazy, unhinged, as, as in this is the guy that's just going to walk out in the middle of a title match and knock out both opponents and steal the belt, you know? Like, that's what you want to do. Now, Dake says, is Wyatt evil, though? He's passionate. See, evil can be interpreted different ways. And the reason I say this, I say it 
is because Bray Wyatt's character is supposed to be this over-the-top zealot, you know, kind of a cult leader. And again, evil is relative in the sense that people have different understanding of, understandings of evil. Like when he was feuding with, with uh, Dean Ambrose, I felt that that was more evil, more diabolical versus maybe his feud with Daniel Bryan, which was more kind of cult-like, trying to bring him into the fold. And, um, you know, Lucha Lee says he could easily switch over to face and keep the same persona. Yes, he can. D, uh, Bray Wyatt is in a very unique situation where he can actually play that out, and, and he works it. You know, he works that, that gray area of character development that works. And I think Dean Ambrose should be that. You know, it should be, you know, for every... It's like for every Spider-Man, there's a Venom. For every Batman, there's a Joker. But you got to remember, for every Venom, there's a Carnage. And that's what I'm saying, you know. You got to have a different level of crazy. So if if Bray Wyatt is, is Venom, well, correction, if Dean Ambrose is Venom, then Bray Wyatt is Carnage. Like, that's how it has to be. And And I feel that WWE just doesn't know how to temper that with, you know, with the way it works. And that's what I'm saying, like, like every heel has their their face, you know, their their ultimate rival. But every heel should have another another heel who just is out to be that top bad guy. And I say this because think about this. When Randy Orton was running around punting people in the head, dude was at the top of the food chain of badass. This is the guy that punted Stephanie McMahon, punted Vince McMahon, just completely over the top. But this was also a guy that when he was the legend killer, he was trying to up, upstage the rated R superstar in Edge. And that led to a lot of crazy things, of course, led to rated RKO as well. But think about it. For every villain, there has to be a villain that's willing to go the extra mile. The same thing with every hero. In the, in, in, in the sense of that parallel, you have John Cena. He's your good guy. He's your Captain America. He's your Superman. He's that guy. If you're trying to build Roman Reigns up as the next guy, then you need to build up Roman Reigns as the Punisher, as the guy that, you know, goes the extra route, is a little more aggressive, is a little more dangerous, is a little more hungry. That's how you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look at it. You know, you gotta, you have to look at it that way. And that's the problem with WWE's booking philosophy. It almost feels like every guy is stuck in the orbit of John Cena or Brock Lesnar. You know, guys like Seth Rollins, guys like Daniel Bryan, they're breaking outside of that conventional mold. And that's, you know, and that's because the fans are forcing WWE to acknowledge that. But it's true. There's a lot of outside stuff when you look at it that could be maximized better. Like Tay, like Rusev. Rusev is probably one of the better bad guys they got. But he his 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 character fluctuates between, you know, typical foreign bad guy and just genuine badass. And, and you know, WWE needs to figure out where they want to go with that, because this is a guy. If Rusev is booked correctly, he can be an amazing villain, an amazing villain. He's got the athleticism, the pedigree. You know, he's got the look. It works. But if you don't put him in meaningful feuds with guys that are going to bring that same level of intensity, it's not going to it's not going to help anybody. These are the facts. Again, 
let me not uh, get too sidetracked and let me get into the rest of this Raw recap. Goldust and Stardust squared off against the Ascension. Obviously, the continual, the continuing buildup for the inevitable Gold and Stardust breakup is definitely being put together. I have a feeling it'll probably go through Fastlane and culminate with a match at WrestleMania. I do think that um, the Ascension, they looked, they looked decent, but I feel that this match was a means to an end in the sense that it was more so to reinforce the wedge that's being driven between Gold and Stardust uh, versus the Ascension. But you know what's funny? And I talked about this before. The Ascension have essentially regressed since making the jump from NXT to WWE. In NXT, people liked them. They had a good gimmick. The crowd was into them. You know, bringing them up to WWE and making them these caricature, this caricature of, of old school tag teams is is going to be good and bad because you can only have them defeat so many old school tag teams that, you know, the novelty is going to wear thin. I say this before and I'll say it again. The Ascension would have benefited from Kane being their manager, them coming up with the same evil gimmick that they had in NXT with Kane being their manager. It would have worked better and would have allowed Kane to do something a little different and it would have also allowed him to rest his body and not be utilized in such a a stupid fashion as a lackey for the authority. Just saying. Anyway. You know... We um and this is this is something that gets me, and it, it it you know it was good to see the um you know the quote unquote return of Ryback, Rowan, and Dolph Ziggler. But the thing that got me was the setup from their return, and that was Luke Harper and Ryback's match, which I added into our three R's this week on RageWorks because that match was tremendous, and I'll tell you why. Because you look at that match on paper and you go, oh man, this match is going to suck. It's going to suck. Because you figure that the contrast of styles are gonna are just not going to work. But man, Luke Harper continues to reinforce that he is a very underrated talent. This guy can do a moonsault, a hurricane rana, a standing dropkick, just beautiful work, beautiful technique. And he worked well with Ryback. On the contrary, I said to myself, damn, a feud between these two guys wouldn't be bad. I think they really worked. They complemented each other well. And, you know, a lot of people give Ryback a lot of shit because he's sloppy in the ring, but he's definitely, with the right opponents, he looks really good in there. Luke Harper brought a lot of a lot of really good wrestling out of Ryback. And same thing, you know, on the other side. The match was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think that if you give these guys a decent feud and a little more time, they're probably going to tear the house down. Now, um, Donnie says the ascension to which Dake says uh, they're so bad. Donnie then adds, if they would have just come in and beat ass and shut up, they would be better. <laughs> this is true. Lucha Lee adds, Here was, here's what I envisioned. During the tag match at the Royal Rumble, the lights go out, Undertaker comes out, missed and all. Then the ascension music hits and they tear up the tag team division. I could have I could have rocked with that man. Kind of like when the Acolytes came out with the Undertaker before they became the APA. Shit, that works for me. But like I said, I think it would have just been better to utilize somebody like Kane, who's kind of in that, you know, that dark, that dark persona that would work well with the Ascension. But again, sadly, you know, armchair booking 101, uh, you know, we we talk about it, but unfortunately the WWE will not be about it. Simple as that. Anyway, 
Cesaro and Jimmy Uso, of course, this is the buildup to the inevitable uh, Cesaro-Tyson Kig tag team title match against the Usos. Uh, the match itself was really good. I really liked the finish with Jey Uso um, going for going for the dive. Was it Jay? Jimmy, excuse me. Jimmy Uso going for the dive and being hit with the uh, pretty much the dragon punch from Cesaro. A uh, really nice finish to the match. A beautiful, beautiful uppercut. Cesaro definitely getting a little bit more attention as of late due to his partnership with Tyson Kidd, and I think it works. Again, even though I don't like the tie-in to Total Divas, I do feel that the match itself was incredibly solid. Like I said, I liked I liked Cesaro's technique in that match. I I liked the 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 European uppercut finished, or or as I like or as I pretty much called it, uh, the the sure you can finish in that match. I thought it was great. Like I said, it's all about doing and maximizing the most out of Cesaro and Kid. And while they are a welcome addition to the tag team division, it's a matter of adding more teams to give us more more matches on a consistent basis. Is that going to be the case? We can only wait and see. So we get a backstage segment with Miz and Mizdow, of course. This is the inevitable setup to Miz and Mizdow breaking up with Mizdow and Miz probably either facing off at Fastlane or at WrestleMania. Um, I don't have a problem with this, but here's my question. If Mizdow is going to turn on the Miz, does he go back to being Damian Sandow? And if so, what will his gimmick be? And the reason I say this is because Damian Sandow was a great character, a great gimmick, and, you know, it evolved into Damian Mizdow, and it's been good, but once you break them up, what do you do with Damian Sandow at that point? Because that's my concern. It's not so much the feud or the match itself, but it's the outcome. It's what happens afterwards. And there, and there my friends, is the question that everyone should be talking about. What happens to Damian Sandow after you separate him from The Miz? Does he go back to being, you know, the genius Damian Sandow? Does he get another character change and become something else? Does he, you know, become the chameleon and come out as a different wrestler every week and use their moveset? I don't know. But all I do all I do know is that if it's not handled correctly, you're going to take all that buildup for Mizdow and you're going to essentially flush it down the toilet pretty much it i hate to say it but it's true Dolph Ziggler took on Bray Wyatt in a very very solid match i really enjoyed it i thought there was uh great chemistry between these guys i do feel that they would probably have a good feud as well um great work i enjoyed you know Dolph Ziggler definitely made Bray Wyatt look like a million bucks but um you know Bray Wyatt as well he's continuing to be booked strong for the rumored Undertaker match. Again, don't quote me on that. That's what the the various websites are saying. Um, I like the match, and I like the build-up, and I also like the video promo from Bray Wyatt later on in the broadcast. I do feel that it's a great setup, and if and if Bray Wyatt is facing the Undertaker at Mania, I think it would be a great way to transition Bray Wyatt into the new phenom, you know, the new, the new paranormal force in the WWE, and I think that... Taking on The Undertaker is is a tremendous challenge, and I think that he's probably one of the few guys that can help The Undertaker have a pretty good match. Of course, we'd all love to see The Undertaker and Sting square off, but it's this mad that match would be 10 years too late, 
and those guys, both of them are hammered, you know, they're destroyed with injuries. I don't think the match would be as enjoyable as we all would hope. For, from a nostalgic standpoint, I'd love it. Don't get me wrong. But from just a safety standpoint, it just wouldn't be right to have these guys go out there and throw together a match when they can barely function as is. Again, Undertaker, Bray Wyatt, Sting, Triple H, it works. Both guys can carry guys to good matches, and I think that that's the better course of action. Like I said, the nostalgic side of me would love to see Sting and Taker square off. I mean, it's something we've all talked about as wrestling fans, but it would just be a disservice to the legacy of both guys to send them out there, have them try and and force a good match out of them, and the match just to end up being complete shit and hurting the legacy of both guys. Dake says, I don't like trying to replicate Undertaker's thing. Let Wyatt fill his own shoes. You know, I can understand you, you know, the, the lack of appreciation for that. But you know what it is? In WWE, there's the Undertaker's character is a character that has transcended years, feuds, um, different periods in wrestling. And I feel that it's always the one constant. And, you know, with The Undertaker being essentially on his way out, I do feel that WWE still needs that one constant. I felt that Brock Lesnar should have been that one constant. Brock Lesnar should have established his own streak that he would put on the line at every WrestleMania going forward. I feel that if you're going to use him as a special attraction, it would be, can you beat the one behind the one in 21-1? and I think it would have been a great way to lengthen Brock Lesnar's involvement with the company and to do something meaningful because he who defeats the beast becomes a legend. Simple as that. Like it's easy booking. You get Brock Lesnar in there once a year and you try and have guys that try to beat the streak. And then at some point, Brock Lesnar passes it on to the next guy who in turn becomes the next phenom or the next main eventer or whatever the case may be. I always felt that Brock Lesnar's booking should have been handled that way instead of, you know, using that whole limited date fiasco. But um, what can you do? Dake says that would be cool, but Lesnar isn't really a company guy. No, Lesnar's not a company guy, but Lesnar's a money guy. He's a mercenary, and that's exactly it. For the sake of being a mercenary, but also the sake of keeping his legend intact, he, he you can have him come back every year. Just from the strength of competition alone, being the one behind the one in 21 and 1 is an incredible honor. And to defeat that man, it's the equivalent of Highlander. You know, you defeat him, you take his power. That's what WWE is banking on with Roman Reigns. They figure have him defeat the beast, overcome the odds, and become the face of the company. That's what they would love to happen. I don't think that's going to be the case, but still... I think I think in in that respect Brock Lesnar's legacy is is you know it's going to be pretty much putting Roman Reigns over effectively. And I hate to say it, when you look at Brock Lesnar standing next to Roman Reigns, it looks like a grown ass man and a teenager. I hate to say it. And that's one of the hard parts of selling Brock Lesnar and anybody defeating him that doesn't that isn't either a better technician or a more athlete or a more uh, intelligent wrestler. I just, I, it just doesn't seem believable. I mean, wrestling's not supposed to be believable, but come on. You know, you got a guy who 
is this perfect specimen, this athlete, this gladiator, and he's going to lose to a, you know, a, a pretty boy. You know, it's it's weird to me, but I I mean, I understand the logic, but I just look at it also from the long-term effects. Like if Brock Lesnar's on his way out and he's going to put Roman Reigns over, fuck it, so be it. But not utilizing Brock Lesnar for anything else unless he resigns. I mean, it's silly. I mean, if, if you if you can beat the beast, that would make a very, very good story going forward. Unfortunately, that will not be the case, but stranger things have happened. Anyway, Alicia Fox and Paige squared off in what, you know, was essentially just fodder for the Bella Twins to interfere. Eh, it was all right. You know, I pretty much got up, got something to drink, came back, and the match was over. Simple as that. The Miz took on Sin Cara, which of course was additional fuel to the inevitable Miz and Miz Dow breakup. I felt the match was pretty good. Sin Cara, very underutilized talent. I think with Hunico under the mask, you can do a lot more with that character. And if the rumors of what they're going to do with Kalisto are true, then we need somebody to believe in Hunico and push him as the same type of talent that Rey Mysterio was. And I'll get into that later on in the segment. Now, Rusev comes out, he cuts his, he gets ready to cut his promo, he kills Eric Rowan dead, uh, the flag, the, the Russian flag doesn't come down, which I actually appreciated because that actually showed how well Lana and Rusev work at improv, because the flag didn't come down and they actually utilized that to be frustrated and angry because they kind of felt that John Cena was behind it. It was very well done. It was good planning on their part, and again, it was uh, it was great improvisation from both Rusev and Lana in that instance. Definitely was. Uh, Lucha Lee says, you're not talking about... <laughs> yeah, I do want to talk about that, and I've heard reports of it being fa- uh, false, uh, Lucha, but I do want to talk about it because it's so god-awful that it needs to be addressed. <laughs> It needs to be addressed, man. It it has to. It has to. Anyway, our main event of the evening was Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan, which for those of you that are only um, aware of the WWE universe and not any other wrestling promotions, uh, please note that this is not the first time that Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan have squared off. On the contrary, these two individuals have locked horns in Ring of Honor on more than one occasion. Uh, Seth Rollins as Tyler Black, and Daniel Bryan as the American Dragon, Bryan Danielson. Now, if you want to see that match in its entirety from Ring of Honor, definitely stop by our Rageworks fan page, and you can check it out there as well. As for the match itself, holy shit, was it tremendous from start to finish. Great ring work, amazing chemistry, awesome storytelling, and of course, we knew there was going to be some interference, but I'll tell you, The interference led to one of the better spots of the evening, and that was Roman Reigns spearing the shit out of the big show. Every aspect of that spear and that entire exchange really worked in making Roman Reigns, you know, get a a pop from the crowd. In addition to that, obviously, Seth Rollins ate a Superman punch due to his interference in Roman Reigns' match with the big show, which, of course, led to Daniel Bryan securing the victory and facing Roman Reigns at Fastlane. Now, obviously, it's easy to assume that Roman Reigns will get past Daniel Bryan and face Brock Lesnar, but I do feel that Daniel Bryan is probably the biggest 
the best person to put over Roman Reigns at this at this stage of the game because Rome, Daniel Bryan can get a good match out of Roman Reigns. If it's one thing that we've talked about on this show numerous times, it's the fact that Roman Reigns outside of, you know, beyond five-minute matches is just not the best wrestler out there. I have a feeling that Daniel Bryan is going to force that. He's going to force good, a good match out of Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns will be better for it. I tell you this much though, if Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins face off down the road, we're we're going to have a lot of magic in that ring because those guys delivered a tremendous match for the amount of time they had. It was again, you can say that the ending tarnished the match a bit, but it was the means to an end and I'm sure we have not seen the last of Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins. Again, a very very good episode of Raw. Uh, it was tremendous. I loved every part of it. I mean, a lot of the backstage segments were really well done. A lot of the angle advancement was tremendous. And um, yeah, not a bad not a bad Raw at all. On the contrary, like I said, it actually gave me the creative juices to write up a three R's column, which you can read on RageWorks.net. And, you know, if you agree, feel free to share your comments in the in the post. If not, you know, I definitely want to hear from you as well. All right, let's talk about the other wrestling news of the week. Uh, first and foremost, uh, PW Insider is reporting that Rey Mysterio's negotiations with the WWE are reaching an end and that Rey Mysterio will allegedly be released. Um, it seems that WWE may honor his request and cut him loose. Uh, there's a strong rumor that Rey Mysterio was going to sign with Lucha Underground. Um, we'll see if that's the case. I think WWE giving Rey Mysterio his release and Rey Mysterio signing with Lucha Underground is going to be a big boost for that promotion. I feel Lucha Underground is an incredibly underrated upstart promotion that has great matches, uh, a really, really unique presentation, and just a lot of great personas that if people gave a chance could really, really make for some interesting competition amongst the the landscape of TNA and Ring of Honor. Definitely give them... uh, you know, definitely give them some love if you can. Um, we'll see what the deal is with that. I, I I really want people to try and support Lucha Underground. If you got the L Ray Network, check them out. A um, lot of great talent there. A lot of really good uh, performers from Puma, uh, you know, Cage, Chavo Guerrero, Ivelisse, uh, Sexy Star. A lot, just just an amazing amount of matches there. Even even you know Johnny Mundo, aka John Morrison. Um, you know, Dario Cueto, who is, who is the, uh, authority figure in Lucha Underground, he, he, he knows how to, he has the right presence to deliver really, really good promos. I mean, part of that is because he's an actor, but he does a really good job out there. And, you know, I, I'm starting after watching Lucha Underground, I, I watched the Spanish language broadcast cause I don't have the El Rey network. I, I gotta say that, you know, there, there, I've, I've really found a lot of my favorites, uh, Johnny Mundo, of course, got to give some some props to John Morrison. Puma, who I like, who of course wrestles, uh, he's wrestled in House of Glory as Ricochet. Um, definitely those two performers I like. I like Cage. I also like Mil Muertes. I think Mil Muertes is a is a tremendous tremendous uh, athlete and really really good in there. He has a really good strong style, even though he wears a lucha mask. So. Just an amazing amount of talent there. I recommend you check it out again. Um, Lucha Underground airs on the El Rey Network, but you can also watch 
um, Spanish language versions of the broadcast on Uno Mas, which is the Univision. Uh, like it's almost like their Cinemax, like they're more amped up network. So definitely look for that from your local cable provider. And um, Dake, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that before we close it up. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely I'm gonna definitely acknowledge that before we close out tonight's wrestling segment. Rest assured. All right, so a couple of weeks ago we talked about WWE signing a deal with Tap Out. Of course, Tap Out, many of you know as the premier MMA brand, um, originally started by Charles Mask Lewis. Of course, their relationship with the UFC was a relationship that you know has been. Uh, beneficial to both sides but of course with the ufc signing an exclusive deal with reebok i'm sure that tap out is looking for new partners and all signs point to wwe and tap out working together and allegedly the deal is almost done and the announcement is pretty much you know a matter of days at this point again don't quote me on it the rumors are very strong that tap out and wwe have established a partnership We will see if that is the case. Hopefully, that'll lead to some better design shirts. Even though WWE's been stepping their design game up the last couple of months, um, I'm curious to see what Tap Out and WWE can do. uh, Excuse me. uh, Tap Out and WWE can do together. So, a nice nice little bit of a record boost for WWE as their brand new Immortals mobile game has had 200 and uh, excuse me 2.7 million downloads in its first weekend of release. I actually downloaded WWE Immortals and I'm working on a review for it. And while don't get me wrong, it's not it it, it definitely is not a great game. It has it has a lot of, you know, it has really good graphics for a mobile game, but it definitely needs to improve on a couple of things and I'll address that in my review, but it's not terrible. I mean, it's a free game. Check it out if you if you have it. You can find it for iOS and for Android devices, of course, for iOS on iTunes and for iOS, uh, excuse me, for iOS on iTunes and for Android, head over to the Google Play Store and look up WWE Immortals there. I got to give a congratulations to Diamond Dallas Page, who is opening up a DDP Yoga Studio, a $2 million facility in Atlanta, Georgia. This is going to be a full a full-time performance center for DDP Yoga. Um, Diamond Dallas Page, of course, will be running it alongside Stevie Richards, a.k.a. Michael Mana. Both have been guests on the show, and um, I'm very happy for both guys. I think DDP Yoga is incredibly beneficial, and, um, you know, me, I'm not, I don't have the the temperament to, to really apply myself to yoga, but I've, you know, I've played around with DDP Yoga a bit, and it definitely works. It, it's, um, incredibly an incredibly solid program and you know i think ddp i I, i'm happy for him that he actually has made enough of a you know uh, it has gained enough money financially to actually open up a full yo ddp yoga studio and we'll see how it pans out i'm sure more and more superstars which we've seen have been doing ddp yoga and have said that it's done uh, a lot for them including chris jericho who is, you know, a big a big supporter of the DDP Yoga movement. Uh, so definitely congrats are in order for Diamond Dallas Page and, of course, Stevie Richards, a.k.a. Michael Manna. Um, Got to give a shout-out also to our boy Lucha Lee, who is um, throwing his hat back in the proverbial pro wrestling ring. Uh, he actually just uh, let me know in the chat that he completed his first week of pro wrestling training. And um, 
you know, it's been 14 and a half years since he got in there in the squared circle and he's jumping back into the, the swing of things. So um happy for, for Lucha Lee and uh, we'll see what happens. You never know. We might see him on a future installment of Tough Enough or maybe doing a run in on Lucha Underground. We'll see what happens, but definitely props to him as well. All right. So one of the big stories we talked about last week was Justin Gabriel asking for his release before the Royal Rumble and getting the release. Of course, Justin Gabriel has gone on to um, start taking dates on the independents as PJ Black. But um, some new some new stories came out courtesy of PW Insider and WrestleZone. Um, they are bringing Tough Enough back, Dake. They are. Um, no official date yet, but they are bringing it back. Anyway, with regards to Justin Gabriel, what they're saying was that he came to the arena... He asked um, if they had anything for him for the Rumble. He said no. He left the arena, went sightseeing, came back, asked if they had anything for him later on in the day. He said no. They Actually, they said no. So he decided he left the arena, didn't tell anybody, and booked a flight home. While he was waiting for a connecting flight, allegedly he got a call from WWE Talent Relations head Mark Carano, who asked uh, Gabriel where he was at. And said that there was intention, an intent to use him in a segment for Raw that night. Uh, Gabriel told Carano that he had left the arena and that he was quitting WWE. So, definitely an interesting turn of events. Of course, WWE officials are not happy with the way Justin Gabriel left. But they did honor his request and release him from his contract. I will say this, Justin Gabriel was incredibly underutilized in WWE. Uh, he had a, you know, he had he had the look. He had a, a marketable look to him. Um, really good background, amazing move set. His mic work wasn't great, but that's something that could be improved on. Or you could have given him a manager. I mean, his his relationship with Tyson Kidd, I was expecting to have to lead to a decent tag team down the road. Of course, that was not the case. But I'm sure sooner rather than later we'll see. Um, Justin Gabriel back in a promotion, either Lucha Underground or Ring of Honors, uh, excuse me, Ring of Honor or TNA Impact. But either way, I'm sure Justin Gabriel will land on his feet wherever he goes. So to wrap things up, I want to address this. There's a, there's a guy on Reddit, Mets fan forever, who many people consider a WWE insider. A lot of his rumors, they pan out. Some do, some don't. But um, he, he addressed an interesting rumor uh, regarding Kalisto. Many of you know Kalisto and Sin Cara were in NXT as the Lucha Dragons. And um, the Lucha Dragons recently launched their NXT tag team titles because allegedly Creative is working on a new gimmick for Kalisto. According to Mets Fan Forever, they're saying that with Rey Mysterio out of the way and Sin Cara considered more or less a bust, the plan is to have Kalisto go with an unmasked gimmick of a gay hair stylist. Similar to Rico's gimmick with um, Billy and Chuck back in the day. But um, according to what's been said by Mets Fan Forever and numerous other websites, Kalisto reportedly did very well with the gimmick and officials are seriously considering moving ahead with that gimmick instead of his current one. Again, this is rumor speculation but I wanted to address it because I want to say this if you're giving up Rey Mysterio one of the things that children love are masked wrestlers 
kids love them. You sell a ton of merchandise, and it just works. Kalisto has a really good look, marketable, has an awesome mask, and, you know, you can do a lot with that character. And the fact that you're even, you know, the rumor is that they want to put him in this gimmick, I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with being a gay hairstylist. Whatever. Who cares? It's 2014. But let's be realistic. You you hired this guy for his lucha pedigree and his um, crowd appeal by, you know, by, by, you know, wearing a mask. And if it's, if it's true, I just feel that it's just a poor choice by WWE creative. Again, it's a rumor. Don't quote me on it, but it's a rumor that I'm not, I'm not happy with because I feel Kalisto is marketable just the way he is in a, in a company where we have no mass wrestlers. I mean, other than Sin Cara, which, you know, Considering that the original guy botched the gimmick so terribly and and Hunico has salvaged it, I really feel there's a tremendous upside with Kalisto. And hell, I would have called the Lucha Dragons up as a tag team. Um, you know, in a division that's that's light on teams right now, I do feel that the Lucha Dragons would have been a great addition to the roster. But alas, that may not be the case. Again, Mets fan forever, his rumors... They occasionally pan out. I'd like to say he has a uh, a seventy a seventy percent success rate, but again, it's a rumor that I needed to address because it really got under my skin. <laughs> Lucha Lee says Los Matadores are are master wrestlers. Yeah, okay. If by mass you mean do rags with holes in them, sure. <laughs> Dake says Kane is my favorite mass luchador. Sure, I, I could live with that. And El Torito, <laughs> fuck that guy. But seriously, I mean, you want to move merchandise, WWE? If Rey Mysterio's on his way out, you have a, a guy who's younger, more athletic, not hampered by injuries, that you can market as your next Rey Mysterio. Seriously. We'll see what happens. But I figured that would be a good way to close out because it's a, it's a rumor that I've seen on numerous sites and it really, really bugged me. Because like I said, you got a gimmick that works. All you got to do is tighten it up a little bit, give him a badass entrance, and send him on his way. Unfortunately, when it comes to creative and WWE, nothing shocks me. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. As always, if I hear anything else, you can see it on Rageworks or on my Take Radio's fan pages and, of course, on Twitter as well. Anyway, that is going to wrap up this week's show. A couple of things before we head out. Um, Like I said, we had no video for this week's broadcast, but I did record video for this show, which will be on our YouTube channels, uh, either youtube.com forward slash mytakeradio or youtube.com forward slash official rageworks, and you can watch video for this episode there. As always, best way to get My Take Radio is to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. If you're getting the shows via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And if you could write a little something, that will help us out as well. The best My Take Radio experience, though, outside of the of subscribing, is by picking up the official My Take Radio app, available for Android, iOS, and Windows mobile devices. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, including uh, mobile wallpapers and other exclusive content that we give to app owners before releasing to the general public. Like I said... For Android, you can find it in the Amazon Marketplace. 
For iOS, you're going to get in iTunes. And for Windows, you're going to go to the Windows Mobile Store. My Take Radio returns later on today, Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, for our gaming and entertainment edition. On behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the MTR crew, I will see you guys later. Make sure to check out RageWorks.net for all the latest with regards to My Take Radio and any of the other shows on the RageWorks Network. Thank you guys for tuning in. I am out of here. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. That's all, folks.